And so if you were here last week, uh, we did something is that uh, John preached on the Sabbath last week. And uh, as, as my time was coming to, have the, 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 to take the Sunday off, I said, well, John, here's the thing. I said, it lines up for image of God. I guess we're in the next place in the text. But I said, but, but then the week after that, that's Sabbath. And like, I know you love Sabbath. And uh, John, if you know anything about John, John loves to talk about Sabbath. He loves to take Sabbath. It's his big thing. And so um, I said, you have the option. And he says, I'll take, I'll take the Sabbath. And said, so, all right. So he preached on the Sabbath. But what's really cool, actually, the way that we're lining it up now is we're going to be talking a few weeks about humanity and about the, the beginnings of humanity. And one of the things and reasons why we're covering the first three chapters of Genesis, as I've been talking about, is that because beginnings matter. Beginnings tell us about where we have come from, which speaks into where we are, and then also to then where we are going. And no more important right now is than humanity. Why are we here? What are we doing? What's our purpose? Why do we even exist? And maybe you've even asked those questions. What am I doing? Like, why am I here? What's this about? And you're often left confused. And the beautiful thing is that the, the scriptures speak to that. And, and they speak to that as they set it up in Genesis chapter 1. And so what we've been talking about as we've been leading into this is that what we've seen God doing is we've seen God creating, separating, and then filling. And so God spoke, heavens and earth. And as he's doing this, what we see is we see him narrowing the story down to what he wants to talk about. The Bible talks about the things that God wants to talk about. And so he goes, the creation of the heavens and the earth. Well, I want to know more about the creations of the heavens. Well, we don't really get that. Because that's not what this part of the story is telling. So the heavens are the creations of the heavens and the earth. Populates the heavens and then it gets to the earth. And of the earth, then it says he begins to separate. Separates light from darkness. He, begins, he separates the, the waters above the sky from the waters below the sea. He separates out the two, and then what does he do? He populates them. He fills them. He separates them out, and then he fills them. Then on day six, what we see is then the land emerges, and then and then God fills the land. So once again, he says, separate the seas from the land, and now I'm going to populate the land. What's interesting is that God doesn't talk a lot more about the population of the sea. He doesn't talk much more about the population of the sky. What he's doing is he's narrowing the story down to what he would like to talk about. We don't get a chapter or multiple chapters in here about the species of birds or of fish. He's narrowing the story down. Separate, fill. Separate, fill. And we get, then he starts to populate the land, and then we get to the back part of day six, which is what we're covering this morning, when he creates humanity. And by the way, what happens is we get, we get this in 1, 26, and then following through 31, and then chapter 2 really comes back and says, I'm going to unpack all of this. Because we're going to read some stuff this morning. Go, I thought God said something about a rib. He goes, he does. But he says that in chapter 2. Because what he's doing is he's narrowing the story down and then he's going to expand and explain the things he would like to talk about. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. So Genesis chapter 1, 26 is where we're going to start this morning. 
Remember, this is the back part of day, of day six. And God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so here we see God create humanity. It's interesting, we see, he says, let us, this idea that I think that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is in, is in Genesis chapter 1, already laying groundwork what's going to be revealed later on. But this idea that let us make God, make man in our image. Now this word for man is, the Hebrew word is Adam, which sounds a lot like the word Adam. And even when we get actually Adam and Eve in this, it really is just, it's, it's, it's just the word Adam. We just pronounce it Adam. And so I may burst a lot of your bubbles, but like this idea that God named Adam, Adam, he didn't really just call them Adam. We go, oh, that's, uh, that's Adam, which can actually generically mean man, or in this case, as we see here, humanity. And how do we know that? Because he says, let us create Adam, humanity, and he created them male and female. And so this whole idea is that they're, they're, they're being created together. Now this is going to give lots of, lots of meaning and understanding. is going to shape the rest of the story. There's lots of chapters and verses that are going to flow, right, after 126 and 27. But it's 126 and 27 that's going to help explain everything else. This is a big idea that humanity, as it's being narrowed down, humanity, the story is going to be about God and humanity, that humanity is created in the image of God. So later on, after his likeness, the imago Dei, image of God, we are the image bearers. And so later on, when God says something like, I require, I want you to be holy. You know the reason why he gives? He goes, I want you to be holy because I am holy. And you have been created in my image. Do you notice like he gives a lots of like requirements and understand, like things for us to do. He gives nothing else to the rest of, to the rest of creation. He doesn't say, and, and, to, and to dogs, here's how you should act. And to fish, here's what you should do. He goes, I want you to be holy. Why? Because I'm holy and you're created in my likeness. And so if that's the way that I am, it's the way I want you to be. It helps us give understanding to when he says things like, I want you to love your neighbor. And by love your neighbor, let me be more specific, I mean you shouldn't kill them. You shouldn't steal from them. You shouldn't covet them because it's going to break relationship. You shouldn't lie to them, and you should not lie about them. Slander. Why? Because in doing so, you're destroying the image that they bear. They are the Imago Dei. 
you are the imago Dei. You are the image bearers of God. And that, that's going to give meaning to the rest of the story. And, if, and I think a lot of times people want to understand the Bible without understanding this idea that this is the big idea that we've been created in His likeness. But here's the thing. Is that not only, not only is it going to give understanding and meaning to the rest of the biblical narrative, but the fact that we've been created in the image of God is going to give you understanding and meaning in your own story. Like your story is being written. Your story is being written and your story has, has at some level led you to this moment and your story is being written. And you might be asking yourself a lot of the very same questions that you'd ask about any story. Where's this thing going? Is there a point? Is there a purpose? You ever watch a bad movie? Yeah. Sometimes like a, a third of the way through, you're like, where's this thing going? Halfway through, like, I don't think they know where it's going. Three-quarters of the way through, I'm pretty sure they don't know where it's going. And it's super frustrating. Because stories are supposed to go somewhere. They're supposed to be about something. We want to know that there's purpose. We want to know that there's resolution. We want to know that, that the characters have, have worth and have value. And I think a lot of times with our own stories, we think that the answer is just right around the corner, right? What's this all about? Why am I here? What am I going to be when I grow up? What's the meaning of life? And we always think the question is just, the answer is just right around the corner. Maybe it'll happen when I graduate. No. Maybe it'll happen when I get married. Or when I have kids. Or when I turn 30. Or when I turn 40. Or 50 or 60. Or when I retire. Or when I get the job. Or when I get the new job. Then finally I will get my understanding, my purpose. I will find my identity. I will find all of this stuff. Because these are the questions that, that lay within us. And what we see here, well, we've been creating the image of God. It tells us something not just about the biblical narrative, but about our own personal story. Right now there's a, a big push for you to find these things. You need to look inward. You've got to look inside yourself. I'm trying to figure out who I am. You know what you've got to do? You've got to look inside yourself. You want to figure out who you are? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look deep inside yourself. Okay. I did that, and I still don't find it. Oh, you just need to look deeper. Because what you need to do is you need to look inward to find yourself, to find your purpose, to find your meaning, to find your, like who you really are and what you are about and who you are to be. You need to look deep within. And then you need to be able to trust that enough to live that out. That's the push. The Bible says something very different. If all you ever do, and I, but I mean this, I think that looking inward is helpful. It's just not ultimate. And if all you ever do is look inward, deeper and deeper for things like meaning and purpose and direction and value 
and answer questions of like, where am I going? Do I matter? If all you ever do is look inward for the answers of those questions, which is our big push right now, I would submit to you that you will always be lost. Because the Bible says that the answer to those questions lays somewhere else. It's not an inward direction, but in an upward direction. We come from God, created in His likeness. We bear His image. So we are the image of bearers of God. By the way, this makes us different from all of creation. And I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times what we think is that we're just a part of the animal king. We're just a part of the animal kingdom. You go, well, yeah, but you have to understand we are different. There is something, whether you believe in the Bible or not, you have to understand that you believe there is something that sets us apart. We are different than all of creation. Now, the Bible says the reason that is is because you are the image bearers of God. That's what makes you different. But I, I think it's interesting that out of all of creation, we are the image bearers of God. And yet, out of all of creation we are the only ones that have image issues. It seems like to me it would make more sense if we were the only creation that didn't have image issues. Right? The cows. Like, yeah, it's nice to be a cow, but man, what it must be like to be humanity. I mean, image of God kind of stuff. But it's weird. They don't think that. We are created in the image of God, and yet we are the only ones that have image issues. I think it's because we are the only creation to be something. We are created to be something that we're not, and we know it, and we're aware of it every single day. I've got a dog. Her name's Bogota. It's a golden retriever. Sheds all over the house like golden retrievers do. Great dog, though. And she is a dog in all of her dogness. She's not concerned at all with her image. We don't go out on walks, and she, as far as I can tell, she doesn't look at other dogs and think, oh, why is that dog smaller than me? Why is that dog bigger than me? Why does that dog walk faster than me? Why does that dog walk slower than me? Why does that dog have more energy? Why does that dog have less energy? As far as I can tell, she has no image problems. She doesn't look in the mirror and think, man, I have gained some weight. And I go, well, I would submit to you because she's the only so we're the only creation that knows that we've been created to be something that we're not. And she is a dog in all of her dogness. So if I were to ask you the question, where do you fall short, right? We have a long list. Oh, I know a long list. What if I even like specified it? Like where do you fall short physically? Oh, I got that list. And the list is getting longer. Where do you fall short relationally? Where do you fall short emotionally? 
where do you fall short spiritually? And here's the thing, like all of those things, we have, we have long lists. And here's the crazy thing, because we know that we're supposed to be something that we're not, and it plagues us every single day. I think this, this idea that we've been created in the image of God is, is both this blessing, as we're going to find out, God bless them, and at times can be, seem like a curse. And by the way, denying it doesn't help at all. Once, when I was a kid, I decided I wanted to run away. And if I remember it correctly, it was something like there was some sort of dispute with my mom and I. So I was like, that's it. I'm out of here. But I didn't like have enough courage to actually run away. So what I did is I just said, that's it. I'm out of here. And I slammed the front door. And then I hid in the closet. Because then I thought like, oh, she'll think I'm gone. And then she's going to be so sad. And then right when she's like, Josh, but no. I'll like, like yeah, I'm here. And then, and then she'll realize uh, the error of her ways. <laughs> and I actually, I can't even remember. I mean, I can't remember how that, how that, that happened. Or what, but I thought to myself, like, what if, I, what if I did run away that day? Ran away, never came back. Met new friends, got a new family. And what if they, they never knew of, of my old family, my old friends, my old life, nothing. They, all they knew was the new me. That's all that they ever knew about. The problem is, is that they, they, would, they would know the new me. The problem would be that every time I look in the mirror, I would be reminded of and see the family that I left. My image would remind me of my origination. See, this idea that we are created in the image of God, we can run from it, we can deny it, we can pretend like it doesn't exist, ignore it, but it doesn't change anything, really, because we still feel it. And we know that we're created to be something that we're not. And that sets us apart as humanity. And so it says that God created them, both male and female. Which means that all of humanity is created in the likeness of God and our image bearers and therefore have value. And not just value, but eternal value because God is eternal. It's interesting. You ask somebody outside of this, ask somebody without the Bible, like, why, why does it matter that we treat people equally? Because we should. Okay. But why? Why does, why does all life matter? Why does all life have value? Be- because it does. Okay. Why was the Holocaust... A, an evil event just because because it was so i think as, as as followers of jesus we can say the reason why the reason why all life matters the reason why why the holocaust was was evil and things that are like it are evil is because because all are created in the likeness of god and have value and we can't destroy and should not destroy any of that 
And so it all has value. Which means that even the people you don't like, your neighbors, your co-workers, people in your family, as shattered as it may be, they are still the image bearers of God, created in His likeness. And that is going to help inform and give meaning and, and direction and purpose and value to who they are. He goes on, verse 28. He says, God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God gives them two commandments. These are the two commandments really before the Ten Commandments. And they're going to get another commandment, which is don't eat from that tree. But here, really, what God says, I want you to go out into the world, I want you to fill it, and I want you to subdue it. Those are the two. I want you to fill, and I want you to subdue. In other words, God's saying, I am not creating more humans. I'm not going to fill the earth with humans. Guess who's going to do that? You. And not only that, but what I'm calling you to do is I want you to subdue the earth. Rule over it. You know, this idea that we, we want to rule and have authority, it's, at some level, it's, it's a very biblical thing. God has created humanity to rule and subdue the earth. I think the question will be, what kind of subduers are we? It's one of the reasons why I do love science. Because what science is, is helping us understand how the natural world works. And in theory... Science will help us subdue the world. It'll actually help us carry out the thing that God has entrusted us with. And what, so God says this. See, see what God does here? He says, so he, he creates, he creates, he creates, separates out, and then fills. Separates out and then fills. And says, this, this is what it's going to happen. Seas, you stop here. Land's going to be here. And then he fills. And then he creates humanity and the likeness of himself. And then he says, I want you to do very similar things now. Now I want you to fill, and I want you to subdue. I think it's one of the reasons why Christians should really wrestle with how, how and what kind of stewards are we of the earth that we've been given. Because if all we're ever going to do is subdue the world so that we can exploit it, that's not good. If all we're doing is, is looking to exploit that which we subdue, that does not make us good stewards. And so we're required and charged by God himself to be good stewards of this creation, to be good subduers. And he goes on, verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Remember the pattern we talked about a couple weeks ago that God said it was so, it was good. God said it was so, it was good. That's what he does. And so here we go. God said 
And he goes, and it was so. But here the it was so is not just about creation, but also about this idea that God says, I have given you every good plant and fruit for you to eat and for creation to eat. Now here it would imply that Adam and Eve were vegetarians. You go, I don't like where this is going. Especially if you like a good steak. Yeah, it tells us, I mean, it tells us, as far as we understand, that they were, they were vegetarians. Uh, to, to probably subside some of your fears, maybe. Uh, after, after the flood with Noah, God says about all of the, the animals, he goes, the, the animals are food for you. So there, there is a commandment. So I don't think what God is saying here is that Adam and Eve were vegetarians and you, should, you too should be a vegetarian. I know some of you are, and that's, that's wonderful. Um, but what we find in, in, in with Noah is that God, he, he allows for the meat to be eaten. And even in some of the uh, Passover, things like that, meals, uh, is that meat, meat is part of the meal. So we know that it's not just not necessarily to be left there. However, what I think that was being shown here is that what God is doing is he's sustaining his creation. So he has created, he has filled, and then he sustains. By the way, this is the thing that we see with, uh, with Exodus. When, they call, when God calls out the Israelites out of Egypt, what does he do? He calls them out. He says to them, come out of Egypt. And then what does he do with them in the wilderness? He sustains them with food. That which God calls out, he always sustains. He calls out creation, and then he sustains it with its food. And he goes into verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Some people think that the way that they would understand this is that when God makes creation, he goes, it's very, so when God makes uh, humanity, he says, this is very good. In other words, like he goes, well, he made the, he made the heavens and the earth. He goes, that was good. Then he made the fish of the sea. He's like, that was good too. And then he made the birds of the sky. Well, that was good. And then the animals of the, uh, of, of the land, he goes, that was good. But then humanity comes along and he goes, but I crushed it with humanity, right? I mean, I, I mean the, the fish were awesome. They were good. But humanity, very good. I think what God is doing, I don't think he's doing that here. I think what we see here is God's reflecting on the completion. So maybe you're, like, you're doing a house project that's going to require you doing some demo and then some like, some of like the prep work, then the installation, and then some of the finishing work. And when you demo, you go, well, it looks good for it being an empty room now. Like the demo looks good, but then you start doing each step of the project. You go, up. step one looks good. Step two looks good. Step three looks pretty good. Step four looks good. And then when the project's done, you step back and go, yeah, that's really good. But here's the problem. God reflects on everything, and he goes, it's good. But there's such a disparity with what we see here and what we experience now. Because we don't reflect on creation and go, yeah, it's, it's good. It's really good. 
And I don't think that God actually is looking down from heaven thinking the same thing now. Like he looks at all of creation, all that we're doing in all of humanity and go, yep, these guys are they're doing a good job. The problem is, I, I think, as we look down now and we, we reflect on creation, humanity, and we go, it's broken. It's not good. Like you just read the news and you're like, it's, it's not good. And you reflect on that for a little bit. You go, it's not good. And here's the problem. It's getting worse. It's not good, and it's getting worse. And so how can we have a God who's here, who goes, it's good, and yet our experience is that it's not good? And then we find in Revelation that it returns to its good state. And so here we are, and the, the bookends of it's good, and it's good, but we live in the in-between where it's not so good. And so what do we do? As image bearers, what do we do? As subduers, what do we do? There's this interesting interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 12. And really the question is about tax collecting, which is interesting, but Jesus always has a way of turning things. And they sent to him, the him is Jesus. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the word, sorry, the way of God. By the way, this is how you know they're trying to trap him, right? They're really talking them up. Like, hey, hey we know that you are, you are the teller of truth. We know that yeah, you're, you're not swayed by anybody's opinion, that your, your, your view is your view and nobody else's view. And so tell us, should we pay our taxes? Is it lawful? Verse 15, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And they said to him, them, and sorry, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And so they come to Jesus, they go, Jesus, should we pay our taxes? Good question. I mean, the, the government's doing horrible, deplorable things with our money. Should, how, why in the world why, would we ever fund that? It's a great question. It's a great ethical, theological question. And Jesus says, bring me a coin. Who's on the coin? But the interesting thing is what he says is, whose likeness does it bear? Caesar's. Yeah, and I would, you know what? I give to Caesar the thing that bears his image. But then you give to God the thing that bears his image. That's the implication. Bears the image of Caesar? Yeah, give it to Caesar then. It belongs to him. It bears his image. It's his thing. It's his coin. 
in him you trust. But if that's true, then the thing that bears the image of God, you give to him. Who's that? That's us. It's interesting. It's, even as Leo's talking about, been, we're seeing about peace this morning. We think about like, peace. We think about freedom. With freedom, people think that freedom is getting to do whatever you want to do. That's how we define freedom. Freedom means I get to do whatever I want to do. But I don't think that's freedom. And I don't think that's how we experience peace. I think we experience freedom and we experience peace when we are most like the thing we've been created to be. Going back to my my beautiful dog, Bogota, as far as I can tell from her her average day, she, uh, she experiences a lot of peace. She's free. And go, why? Because she is a dog in all of her dogness. That's what she is. And the reason why we don't experience freedom, the reason why we don't experience peace is because we are created to be something and we know that we're not it. And so what Jesus says here, he goes, the answer is you give to God the thing that bears His image. It belongs to Him. It's why you, we sing the song, we belong to you, God. The reason why we have value and worth and definition and direction is because we belong to God. And to God goes back the thing that bears His image. That's why God wants your life. Paul says it in a different way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you're a Christian, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, I think a lot of times what we think is that Jesus is going to help us. Like, our life is out there. And what Jesus does is He comes alongside of us to help us in our journey to go find it. That's not what the Scriptures tell us. Or as our world, our culture would say, is that your real life is hidden where? Inside of you. And if you look deep enough and hard enough, you will uncover that which is hidden inside of you, and then you would have the, the ability and the, uh, the freedom and the courage to live that out. The problem is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Scriptures tell us, that your life is actually not hidden in you. So that's why you can keep on looking for it internally and you will not find it. Why? 
because your life is hidden in Jesus, the image in which you bear. And so there's this big push right now. People are like, you need to find your true self. You got to find your true self. You got to find your true self. Because if you don't find your true self, all you're doing is living a lie. Josh, what do you think? <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got to find your true self. Like, really? Yeah. You got to find your true self. You're finding your true self is probably going to be the biggest journey of your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, so Josh, we should do that? Yep. Yep. As long as your true life is the one that is hidden in Christ. If it's one that's hidden inside of you, you will always remain lost. So I think you should find your true self. I think you should sacrifice everything to find your true self. As long as your true self is what we see in the scriptures, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that you have the imago Dei, you are created in the image of God, and that your real life is still there and hidden in Christ. That's why people think that, that what Jesus came was to tell people what to do. Hey, stop doing this and start doing this. Uh, don't, uh, don't cheat on your wife or your taxes because uh, that's bad. Uh, and, and tell the truth. Yeah, that's not, I mean, Jesus is doing some of those things, yes, but that's not ultimately what he's doing. You know what Jesus is ultimately doing? He's restoring that and redeeming that which was shattered at the fall as we're going to see in Genesis 3. The image that was shattered in you. The image of God that is shattered in you. What Jesus does is he redeems it and restores it and brings it out. That's why we have the freedom in Christ. Because that image in which we've been created to live in all of a sudden is being redeemed and restored in us and put back together. And that's why our true life is hidden within Christ. I love that. He's even saying, the, the more I find you, the more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you. Why? Because our true self, our true life, where we will find definition, meaning, value, purpose, is all hidden within Jesus. And the more we find out about him, the more we'll find out about who we are to be. And the more that that's true, the clearer the image bearer becomes. My prayer for all of us is that we would be good image bearers. That we would find our true self. But that we would find our true self as it's hidden in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the perfect image of the invisible God. We thank you for the vulnerability that you expressed when you created us in your image, knowing that we would shatter it and mar it. You were not surprised when we shattered or marred the, the image Thank you that the image did not depart from us.
Thank you that we are at times woefully aware that we bear it. But more than that, Jesus, we pray that you would restore it, that you'd redeem it. I pray that we would not look inwardly for our meaning, our purpose, our value, our direction, but that we would look upwardly to you for those things. For our life is not hidden within us. And thank you, God. Thank you that it's not just hidden, buried deep within us, but it's actually in you. May we seek out you, Jesus. And the more that we do that, the more we find about our true self, about who we are to be. That seeking you out would not just bring clarity to your larger story, but seeking you out would bring clarity to our story about the part that we're to play. That it would answer the questions of like, do we matter? And where am I going? We thank you for all that you do. Pray that you'd be, continually be faithful and patient with us as that image of you is restored in us. We love you. We pray for these things in your name.